The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 134th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we are bringing you a location suggested by our listener, April Garasi, and she is from the Philippines. And she said the island of Corregidor would be a great place for us to check out. And indeed, it has a fabulous history and some haunting going on there. And we had research assistance from Richard Schaefer. Denise, it's kind of cool. This is a place, an area that we have not gone to yet. It's very cool. So looking forward to sharing that with everybody. Before we get into that, we want to let everybody know that we are very grateful for all of your prayers and good thoughts that you sent in our direction. For those of you listeners who are not on Facebook and don't know, we had a bit of a medical scare with our pup, Rafiki. Who she always ac- says a bit. We had a major medical scare with our pup, Rafiki. That is true. Uh, We were in Alton, Illinois for the Haunted America conference over the weekend and Rafiki decided to have a really bad episode as part of her congestive heart failure and caused our poor pet sitter, Julie, who is a part of our spectacular crew as well, to have to take her to the emergency vet. And we were thinking that we might not get home in time to even say goodbye to her. And so I put it out on Facebook on my regular page. And thank you to Josh for putting it out on the Spectacular Crew and all of you guys with all of your prayers and good thoughts. By the time we got home, she was doing much better. And we got to take her home that night. And you'd never know she even had an issue. Exactly. In fact, the vet's even calling her a miracle pup. Yes, I guess uh, dogs aren't supposed to live for very long with congestive heart failure. And she's going on almost three years now and just keep ticking along. So the power of love. That's true. So thank you to you guys for all of that. And speaking of the Haunted America Conference, we had a fabulous time there. We will be putting together a bonus cast that's going to be on the free feed for all of you to be able to listen into some of the lectures that we heard and join us on some of the tours that we took. Had a lot of interesting stuff happen. Both uh, Tammy and Heather had experiences in the Unitarian Church in Alton that we went into. So we'll share that with you guys on that. And it was so neat to meet some of our listeners, Denise. Oh, it was very, very cool. I think that that was my favorite part of the whole conference is being able to say hi in person to some of the people that have supported us for so long. Yes. And if you ever see us at anything, please don't be shy. Come up to us, introduce yourselves, let us know that you are listening to the show. Don't ever think that we don't want you to come up to us or that we're 
you know, snooty or we're not celebrities. We're just like you guys. So please come up and hang out with us. Denise and I are not clicky people. We know what it's like back in school to be bullied and to be unincluded in clicks and such. So we will never be clicky. So don't ever think that you can't be a part of us. So it was really cool. We got to meet up with both Heather and Josh, who are administrators of the Spooktacular crew. Yes, we did. We met Tammy and her husband, Brian. Yes. We met Cindy. She had her two sons with her as well. Yes, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, Gavin went and joined us in the Spooktacular crew, and all of a sudden, he's got the, we bit him, Denise, he's got the haunted history research bug. Very much so. So that's very cool. We met Felicia and her husband, Coy, and I can't remember her other partner in crime. They are the Women of Lips, which is Ladies Investigative Paranormal Society. So that was wonderful to meet them. And Should we share with everybody what Patrick had to say about Felicia's hair? She has fabulous hair. Oh, she has. Her hair is amazing. It's a really kind of a light purple, but not not like a pastel-y purple. It's a really... It's lavender, I would say. Yeah, lavender, very, very pretty purple. And so when she went by before we even realized who she was, Patrick of the Big Seance podcast was like, her hair makes me want to get cotton candy. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it's cotton candy purple. And speaking of which, we got to meet Patrick in person. That was great. He hung out with us quite a bit. And we also met Jessica, and she brought her friend Bonnie, who joined us in the Spooktacular crew as well. Yep, and so they were both down from Chicago, so we'd miss them on that trip. But And the really neat thing is, Jessica's one of our t-shirt winners. So it was great meeting all of those people. We hope to meet a lot more of you in the future. And as a matter of fact, we will be going to the Haunted America Conference next year. It's going to be June 23rd and 24th. So if you can, please join us. It's a nice central right in the middle of the United States. So come on out, make it a trip. What we're going to do is if you can, if you decide to come, please try to get there early on Friday. We're going to try to do a meetup with lunch and maybe a tour before the conference starts so that we're not interfering with anything that's going on at the conference. And also so that we have enough time to hang out. We were very rushed for dinner and trying to get a tour in on Friday night. So we want to do something that's kind of special ahead of time. Denise, we had something really weird happen to us when it comes to a certain number. Yes, we did. We shared it with a spectacular crew. We'll share it with our listeners here. When we were in Alton, Illinois, what was our hotel room? It was 311. When we got home, we had to go pick up our car from the parking lot at the airport. And I pulled the ticket out of my pocket. And Denise, what parking spot were we parked in? I think the listeners can probably already guess where this is going. 311. And then a couple nights ago, I got a notification from PayPal letting us know that we'd gotten a one-time donation. What was the amount for? That was for $3.11. This all happened in a week. So I don't know what the universe is trying to tell us, but I contacted the gentleman who did that donation for us. And I'm not going to share his name and I won't be thanking him at the end like we normally do because I like to keep the amount that people send us or, you know, whatever donations are. I like to keep that private. I like to let your names out there so that you get thanked for doing it. But I'll keep that to us. But I contacted him and I asked because I'm like, that's kind of a peculiar amount. Is there something special about that number to you? Come to find out that it's what he had left on a gift card so he decided to donate it to us but really weird please check out our website at historygoesbump.com denise if people want to contact us where can they do that they can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com we had somebody post in the spectacular crew a story about some homeowners who discovered a hidden room in their basement that might have been part of the underground railroad 
And Whitney had commented under that. She said, there's a not so old looking house in Flower Mound, Texas, that was due to be torn down for a housing development. But somehow they found that under the first layer of the main room existed the original cabin from way back. The entire house had just been built up around this old farmhouse. The developers of the land had the say in what to do with it, and they were cool enough as to preserve it. I believe the project is currently ongoing. She said, I'd love to live with history unless it's haunted. We did hear from April and the Spooky Crew. I was listening to No Sleep Podcast last night. My 17-pound black cat was lying on my chest snoring, like he always does, LOL. All of a sudden, he jumps up, starts meowing, and is looking up at the ceiling behind me. There was nothing there. Nothing that I could see anyway. Scared the crap out of me. It took about 15 minutes for me to calm him down. I wasn't able to go to bed right away after that, LOL. And Denise, Shelby has had another experience. Shelby, she's our ghost girl. I guess. She seems to be attracting them. She was listening to episode 133 and all the experiences that people had had at Edgefield, and she said it made her want to share an incident that she had last week. I never dream, or rather if I do, I don't remember them upon waking. Last week I went to bed, and in the middle of the night I had a dream. I was standing in my bathroom putting mascara on, which I never do. I have a vanity to put my makeup on. And a male all of a sudden appeared in the bathroom with me. It was someone who cares for me, or at least that was what my subconscious told me. This male grabbed my arm, and I could feel that he was terrified. He was terrified for me. It licked me, he proclaimed loud. I just stared at him. His terror was scaring me. It licked me. You need to get out of here. I can't see what it is, but it's not safe. Then he yanked me out of my bathroom and pushed me into my bedroom and slammed the door. Now I was terrified. I could feel something watching me, floating just above my bed. I laid in bed terrified, still as I could be, barely breathing to avoid attracting its attention. You're not welcome here, I said, pushing authority into my voice. Then I woke up, and I was still terrified and could still feel the presence in my bedroom. I told it two more times it was not welcomed in my house. The terror turned to unease, and I thought about getting up to bring one of the dogs to bed. But then I felt okay again. Whatever had been watching me was gone. In the morning, I got up and let the dogs inside the bedroom. All of them were restless and acting strangely. I thought about the dream and the intense feelings it caused and wondered who had given me the message to wake and banish whatever had come in during the night. I've been to a couple psychics who claim my deceased little brother, who would now be 18, is always with me, watching over me. Not sure if I believe in them, and I'm still on the fence about their gifts, but if I do have a guardian angel, I'm pretty sure he stepped in to prevent something terrible from happening. Was it just a nightmare that carried through to waking, or was something indeed haunting me? That is for you to decide. I don't know. That sounds terrifying. Usually when people talk about dreams, like when I listen to some of these podcasts that have real ghost stories on, I roll my eyes a lot when I hear people talking about dreams because I'm like, I have some crazy dreams and I don't necessarily equate them to something paranormal or such. But when you're having a terrifying dream that seems to have carried over into the present, that is really terrifying. Yes, very much so. Because then it makes you think she wasn't really dreamy. It was almost like her subconscious was telling her this is what's going on. All right, we want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Bonnie. Hey, Bonnie. Patty Ann. Hey, Patty Ann. Gavin. Hey, Gavin. Debbie. Hi, Debbie. John. Hey, John. Gracie. Hi, Gracie. And she goes with an I-E. Timothy. Hey, Timothy. C. Laurel. Hi, C. Laurel. And Jen with two N's. Hey, Jen with two N's. Denise, are you ready to head on out to a haunted island? I'm ready to head out to any island. (laughs) All right, let's do it. History Goes Bump is entirely listener-supported. Become an executive producer for as little as $1 a month. Get listed on the website and invited to exclusive virtual meetups. 
For $5 a month, you get that and exclusive bonus content like the Haunted True Crime Bonus Cast. For $10 and above a month, you'll get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump or you can support us via PayPal. Click the support the show tab at historygoesbump.com for more information. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. Walking around the city of Alton, Illinois, one notices that streets and businesses share a distinctive name, Piazza. They are named for the only North American legend about a dragon. Some might call the creature a flying sarian or reptile. The legend originates with the indigenous people of the area, and there was once a rock that featured an image of the piazza that was written by Father Marquette and Louis Joliet in 1673 after they had explored the Mississippi River and they were returning home via the Illinois River. The name piazza means destroyer of men. Captain Gideon Spencer was coming up the Mississippi River in 1820 when he saw the piazza on a rock. He asked a local tribe about it, and they told him that it had been carved in the rock long ago by another tribe, and that it represented the storm bird or thunderer. The image was described as depicting a creature that was part bird, reptile, mammal, and fish. The colors used in early paintings were red, black, and green, with red symbolizing war and vengeance, black symbolizing death and despair, and green symbolizing hope and triumph over death. One of the legends claims that the piazza lived in a forest and it would come out in the early morning and carry off young native men. The tribe was helpless to do anything as the piazza was very large with broad wings and its body was covered with scales. The chief of the tribe prayed and fasted and the great spirit showed him a vision that the piazza was vulnerable under its wings. The next day the warriors hid with poison-tipped arrows as the chief offered himself up to the creature. When the piazza dug its talons into him, he grabbed and held tight to some roots on the ground while the warriors jumped out and shot arrows under the wings. Eventually, the piazza succumbed to the poison and fell from the cliff to the river below. It was on this rock where this happened that the image was painted. In 1847, a quarry eventually destroyed the image, but today a modern-day rendition still exists in Alton, and it is considered the most accurate portrayal of the piazza. Did the piazza actually exist? Was it just a legend? Either way, the piazza certainly is odd. Are you afraid of the dark? That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. <laughs> This Day in History This Day in History is by April Rogers Crick. On this day, July 3rd in 1775, on Cambridge Common in Massachusetts, George Washington rode out in front of the American troops, drew his sword, and formally took command of the Continental Army. George Washington was a prominent Virginia planter and veteran of the French and Indian War. 
He was appointed Commander-in-Chief by the Continental Congress two weeks before, and in serving the American colonies in their war for independence, he declined to accept payment for his services beyond reimbursement of future expenses. Born in 1732 on a family farm in Westmoreland County, Virginia, Washington's first direct military experience came as a lieutenant in the Virginia Colonial Militia in 1754, when he led a small expedition against the French in the Ohio River Valley on behalf of the governor of Virginia. In 1756, he took command of the defenses of the Western Virginia frontier during the French and Indian War. After the war's fighting moved elsewhere, he resigned from his military post, returned to a planter's life, and took a seat in Virginia's House of Burgesses. During the next 20 years, Washington openly opposed the increasing British taxation and repression of the American colonies. Some opposed Washington's nomination as commander-in-chief, thinking other candidates were better equipped for the post. But Washington was chosen because, as a Virginian, his leadership helped bind the southern colonies more closely to the rebellion in New England. Leading an inexperienced and poorly equipped army of civilian soldiers, General Washington led an effective war of harassment against British forces in America while encouraging the intervention of the French into the conflict on behalf of the colonists. On October 19, 1781, with the surrender of British General Charles Lord Cornwallis's massive British army at Yorktown, Virginia, General Washington had defeated one of the most powerful nations on earth. The History Goes Bump Podcast. The island of Corregidor in the Philippines is a battle-scarred stretch of land known by some as The Rock. Debris reminds the visitor that this was once a part of the war theater during World War II. The island has played host to fishermen, pirates, the Spanish, American military, and the Japanese. Today, it is the vacation destination for people from around the world who can enjoy a stay at either a hotel or resort on the island. The turmoil that has been experienced on the island has led it to being rumored as haunted, and the legend of the Bloodstones was born. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Corregidor Island. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Corregidor Island is one of five islands located by the entrance to Manila Bay. The island consists of about 1,735 acres, and it's about four miles long. If you look at the island from above, it actually looks like a tadpole, Denise. And it's been described in books as a tadpole with its head thrusting into the South China Sea and its body and tail curling east and south back into Manila Bay. The highest elevation of Corregidor is 628 feet and exists in the head region. This is the site of the original lighthouse built by the Spanish in the 1830s. So there's a lighthouse for us to visit. Very cool. There are two plateaus on the island called Topside and Middleside. Bottomside is about sea level. Manila is only 30 miles away, but there's a slight difference in climate, which affords cooler temperatures for the small tropical island. Some of the vegetation includes fire trees, bougainvillea, hibiscus, palm trees, cadena de amor, and orchids. 
There is some debate as to whether Corregidor is part of a dormant or active volcano, and I hope they don't find out the hard way. The island was originally populated by indigenous fishermen, and pirates used it as a base for rest and launching attacks. The Spanish were the first to take Corregidor Island as their property in 1570. Miguel Lopez de Legazpi led the expedition. He was known as the Elder, and he was the first governor general of the Spanish East Indies, and he established Manila as its capital. The Philippines were named for King Philip II of Spain, who had ordered the expeditions to the area. The Spanish used the islands as a penal institution for customs inspections and a fortress of defense. Corregidor comes from the Spanish word corregir, meaning to correct. One story states that due to the Spanish system wherein all ships entering Manila Bay were required to stop and have their documents checked and corrected, the island was called Isla del Corregidor, Island of the Correction. Another version claims that because the island was used as a correctional institution by the Spanish, that is why they call it El Corregidor. In 1574, the Chinese pirate Lima Hong attacked Manila. He failed and left his anchorage near Corregidor. The Dutchman Olivier van Noort began pirate activity just off the island a few years later. The Spanish drove his two ships away, but eventually the Dutch would return and capture the island in 1647. After seven months, the Dutch left and the Spanish were in control once again. Eventually, in 1853, the Spanish built their lighthouse, which was visible for 20 miles, and it actually is visible from 33 miles now. The Spanish-American War started in 1898, and on May 3rd, two American ships went ashore on Corregidor and forced the Spanish to surrender. This effectively ended Spain's 328-year rule of the island. When America took over the island, they made it into a military complex. A hospital, barracks, bomb-proof shelters, gun emplacements and batteries, a school, theater, a baseball field, and swimming pool were all constructed. Bottom side has a large hill to its east that rises to an elevation of 390 feet. The hill is called Malenta, and it made passage very difficult from bottom side to the tail end of the island. The Americans decided that it was the perfect place to build a bomb-proof shelter and they drove a shaft from rock quarry at bottom side directly through the hill, creating the famous Malenta Tunnel. Construction began in 1922, and it took 10 years to complete. The tunnel stretched 835 feet and was 24 feet wide, and the height at the top of its arch measured 18 feet. There were these arms that came off from the center tunnel that were called laterals, and there were 13 of them on this north side and another 11 laterals on the south side. The laterals measured about 160 feet in length. An electric trolley line ran down the center tunnel, which was formed with concrete. Blowers helped to circulate air. The tunnel was initially used to store munitions and other military goods and hardware. The tunnel provided complete protection from artillery or air attack. Thus, it was a good spot for a hospital, and so a hospital was built into the tunnels with a 1,000-bed capacity. The hospital took up 10 laterals, and each lateral had a capacity of 100 beds. Of the remaining two laterals, one was used as quarters for the female staff of the hospital, and the other housed administrative offices. The female staff had the only heavy steel door in the complex, and they bolted it each night for security and privacy. General Douglas MacArthur set up the headquarters of USAFFE inside the tunnel, where men and women would live and work during the siege of Corregidor. The tunnel was a miserable place. It was damp and dark, and the blue mercury vapor lights would flicker, giving inadequate light. Bedbugs bit, little black flies swarmed, and dust clung to everything. About 4,000 people called the tunnel home. Yikes, I wouldn't call it home sweet home for sure. 
Corregidor was known as Fort Mills to the Americans. They named it this in 1908 after Brigadier General Samuel Myers Mills, Jr. During World War II, Corregidor was attacked by the Japanese and was heavily damaged. The Japanese Navy bombarded the little island, destroying guns, batteries, and other infrastructure. American Marines were killed and maimed in the onslaught. They held on while the world watched and waited with bated breath. After the bombardment, the Japanese sent an amphibious assault force to the beaches of Corregidor. The Americans repulsed the initial force, but soon the Japanese began landing tanks and troops. American forces fought until the tanks were almost to Malenta Tunnel. General MacArthur had given orders that the island be defended to the last man, but General Wainwright saw how pointless this would be to continue the fight. He knew that it would only lead to his troops being slaughtered. And I have to say that I agree with General Wainwright. I mean, I don't think it's worth every single American on that island being killed just so you could hold it. Exactly, because then you're not going to hold it anyway once everybody's gone. Exactly. Lieutenant General Mashaharu Homa demanded that Wainwright not only surrender Corregidor Island, but all of the islands that the Americans held. It was a heartbreaking decision by Wainwright to finally capitulate to these demands. The surrender occurred on May 6, 1942. The Americans had managed to successfully smuggle intelligence agents, medical professionals, and other important personnel on a submarine before Corregidor fell. The troops left behind were sent on brutal forced marches to prison camps such as Bataan. The Japanese would occupy the island until the Americans came back, and MacArthur fulfilled his promise with the help of the Filipinos in 1945. A large number of Japanese soldiers committed suicide in the Malinta Tunnel rather than surrender to the invading Americans, and this is one of the largest mass suicides in history. For the Japanese, it was an honor for them to die in this way. It was described as, quote, Many Japanese, estimated in the thousands, sealed themselves in the numerous subterranean passages of the island. In compliance with the philosophy of Bushido, the defenders, hiding in the caves and tunnels like the ones at Malinta Hill, preferred to commit suicide rather than surrender. Corregidor reverberated with many underground explosions for days afterwards, end quote. One fun fact we have here is that the Philippine government sent 20 to 30 tons of its gold reserve to the island because it was thought that this was the safest place. The gold was airlifted out and the silver coins were dumped in the bay before the Japanese attack. So I'm wondering if all those silver coins are still sitting in the bay somewhere. I don't know if it's not too deep. Let's go dive in. I know. I I was like, that is a lot of money. Unfortunately, I guess they put it in the wrong place. This brings us to an event clouded in controversy as some believe that it never occurred. That is the Jabada Massacre or the Corregidor Massacre that is reputed to have happened in the 1960s. The reason that some believe it never happened is that the government was involved and tried to cover up the action. There is very little documentation, but here is what the story is behind the event. Sabah is in northeast Borneo and is one of two Malaysian states on Borneo. It has long been an area of contention between island nations there, specifically Malaysia and the Philippines. The Philippines have claimed that a sultan had given them the land many years prior as thanks for help during a battle. Malaysia claimed the land had been purchased by them. When Ferdinand Marcos became president of the Philippines, he devised a plan to establish a group of special forces to destabilize Sabah and make it easier for the Philippines to take Sabah as its own. He named it Operation Merdeka. 200 young Muslim recruits were brought to Corregidor for training, and the unit was called Jabada. The Jabada unit had no idea what they were really training for. They were excited with the idea of being special commandos who would be used for protection. 
the recruits began to feel disgruntled when their promised pay did not come. When they discovered that they were really being trained to attack their fellow Muslims in Sabah, some of whom might be their own family members, mutiny ensued. Only one man survived the carnage, and he reported that the recruits had been taken out in groups of 12 to an airstrip where they were mowed down. A later court-martial that eventually made its way to the Supreme Court revealed that something did indeed happen on the island, but exact numbers of dead has never been made clear. And I've seen numbers anywhere between 25 to 68 and all the way up to the 200 that were there. And this was Ferdinand Marcos, who I had a really hard time typing president because if anybody knows about the politics over there in the Philippines, he basically became a dictator. So I wouldn't really call him a president. Today, Corridor is a historic monument that offers tours of the island and the Malinta Tunnel. The United States government built a Pacific War Memorial at Topside. It is a rotunda with a circular altar, and the dome is set up in such a way that it allows light through, and this light hits the altar on May 5th at exactly noon to signify the surrender of the troops there. So I don't know how they worked that out, that on that day of the year and at that time, the altar gets hit in such a way that it signifies that. It's amazing, I guess. Very amazing. That's very cool. The Melinda Tunnel has an audiovisual presentation by national artist Lumberto V. Avellana. There's a Filipino Heroes Memorial at Tail End that was built in 1992, and a Japanese memorial garden was built in honor of the Japanese soldiers who died here. The lighthouse still stands here and was reconstructed in the 1950s to fix war damage. And I just wanted to point out that I think it's amazing that they have monuments for all of the different ethnicities that died there. Because as we all know, it was a world war and you make different allies and make different enemies during these times. And of course, we're allies now with all of these people. So I just think it's neat that they've made a a memorial for the Americans, the Filipinos and the Japanese who all died in large numbers on this island. No, it's amazing how how many people's lives were lost. And just because it's not a huge, huge island. No, it's not. I mean, four miles is not a lot of room. No. Corrigidor Island has been named one of the top 10 haunted islands in the world, more than likely for the thousands of deaths that have occurred there. The Malinta Tunnel offers ghost tours and hunts. The hospital ruins are creepy, as well as the old bunkers, which are all becoming overgrown with vegetation. These areas have reports of hauntings as well. The hospital is considered the most haunted area on the island. The Ghost Hunted blog reports that tourists who visit the hospital ruins have reported hearing footsteps, rumblings of normal hospital activities, and wails of people. Screams of pain or shouts for help have been heard around the bunker area. There are not as many sightings of full-bodied apparitions, but people claim to have captured shadows and orbs in pictures. Disembodied footsteps and the distant rumbles of war machines echo through the corridor of time. The Filipino magazine People's Tonight reported that a psychic visited the island and claimed the spirits of the Japanese soldiers that had committed suicide in the Malinta Tunnel still remain. A photo that was taken in the tunnel features two blurred men, one wearing a uniform and half kneeling with his back to the camera, and the other sitting on the lower bunk of a bed. On the beach you can find bloodstones. It is thought that these stones have a red hue from dead troops storming the beaches. This island seems to hold on to its haunting tales as it is hard to find anyone with an actual story of an experience out there. The legend of hauntings on this island may be due more to the fact that it has been the scene of great violence rather than the scene of actual spirits. But anyone who visits the island cannot deny the eerie feeling that they experience as they wander among the ruins. Is Corrigidor Island haunted? That is for you to decide. 
the pictures that I've seen, it looks like a beautiful place. It's basically a tropical island, and then it has all these ruins on it. So it would be fun to explore. But we dug and we dug and we dug between us and Richard, and there were a couple of lines, and they were all the same lines. So it was basically everybody's just copy and pasting. You hear hospital noises, screams, and this. And there was nothing personal. Although they have regular tours there, they do lots of ghost hunts, lots of ghost tours. We couldn't find anybody who was reporting what happened to them. That is so odd because, you know, with that much terror and everything that happened on the island, there would definitely be some hauntings. Yeah, this place is prime for haunting. So it's just, and it's not like it's abandoned because usually when we have this issue, it's because it's abandoned and there's just not that many people to go to there to have experiences. So I'm not sure why people aren't talking about what's happening to them unless there really is not that much going on there. And it just depends. Denise, we're going to share when we do the bonus cast, we got to do a private tour of the Lent Mansion, which would normally have been an amazing experience, except for that halfway through that tour is when we got the call that something was happening with Rafiki. But you can imagine all of the emotions that Denise and I were going through after we got that phone call between fear, sadness. We both immediately wanted to just throw up when you're going through that kind of stress and you're miles away from your your little baby and, you know, you're having to rely on other people to take care of things. And we tried to be as into the tour as we could because it was such a great opportunity. And this woman had come quite a ways in the rain to, to do this for us. And you would think with all of that negative type energy to feed off of, this place has nine ghosts in it. If there's ever going to be, we're going to see a full bodied apparition. That would be it. And we didn't even have any bad feelings in the place. So sometimes it just, I think, depends upon the people, the time, who knows. Exactly. Because we would say the Lent Mansion is not haunted based on our experiences. But there's so much other stuff out there that it's like, well, maybe it is. The next place we're going to check out, Denise, we were talking about a lighthouse on this island. We're going to be talking about a lighthouse that really, that's all it is. It's a lighthouse out in the middle of nowhere called Tevenek Lighthouse. This was suggested to us by our listener, Janet Shepard. And let's just say, because this is a lighthouse out in the middle of the ocean, and basically that's it, it's, I don't know, I don't even know how they built the thing out there, drives people crazy to have to be stationed out there. When people go crazy, things happen. I know, I've seen The Shining. (laughs) Exactly. So that should be interesting to get into. We have some reviews to share with you guys. And Denise, I noticed that we'd gotten a message from a new listener in New Zealand who wanted to give us some ideas for places down there, which will be coming up soon because we haven't done New Zealand yet. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, huh, I haven't checked out the New Zealand iTunes page. Maybe I should do that. We got two reviews from New Zealand. Oh, perfect. From our friends down in New Zealand. We have Aaron C. 00111. Five stars. Love it. I love this podcast, love the banter and humor. Most of all, I love the stories. I listen at work and these make my day a breeze. Lots of love from New Zealand. P.S. We have heaps of haunted places here too. Would love to hear a New Zealand episode. And Alana Helene, a must listen five stars. I was referred to this podcast by the Legends Miss and Whiskey podcast. Thank you, Tanner. And found its combination of history and spooky sightings to be captivating. Diane and Denise put such love and care into this show, and this is blatantly obvious through their interaction with listeners and all of the research and effort they exert in bringing us quality content. I love listening to this podcast and wind down after a long day. I love being a part of the Spooktacular crew, and I've recommended the show to practically everyone I know. Well, thank you. Thanks for putting on something great, ladies. HGB and the two of you have gained a special place in my heart. P.S. Don't pay any mind to those who criticize you guys. Haters gonna hate. Love from Alana in New Zealand. Well, thank you, Alana. We appreciate that. And then we got another review from Australia. This is Shimmy Juju. 
Addicted and loving at five stars. So happy I stumbled across this podcast. Great mix of bizarre facts, fun commentary, and a little history. I look forward to each new episode and can't help but shimmy from the anticipation. Oh, that's awesome. And then back to America, we have Captain J78, one of the best podcasts out there, five stars. Just wanted to let you know how much I enjoy your podcast from the friendly banter between hosts to all of the information that's given on the show. I like how both Diane and Denise have a playful but loving banter with one another. It feels like you're listening to friends or family members tell stories around a dinner table or campfire. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks, Captain. We want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producer, Felicia Pittman. Thank you. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.